Hello and welcome back to another episode of These Little Moments Podcast. I'm your host, your online health and wellness coach, Ryan Kassam. And in this podcast, I had the pleasure of interviewing one of my mentors that helped me with my mobility a long time ago, Mr. Chris Kalis. He is a neuromyofascial specialist. And in this episode, we get into the emotional side of pain, the emotional side of why you might not be able to create change in your life. And we talk a lot about the inner work that you need to do to create that change. So I really think this is going to help so many of you. So I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. and I'll see you in there. Mr. Kalis, Mr. Chris Kalis. Yes, sir. What's up, man? Whoa. Do you dye your hair too? A little little uh cobra kai style with the blue let's today. go man oh <laughs> yeah that hawk has grown since i've last seen you i know right i like it i haven't seen, actually when was the last time i saw you probably right before, before i pandemic, moved to new york bro. yeah before the pandemic i think holy crap yeah. well for those of you who don't know i'm talking to my mobility mentor uh the man who <laughs> got me to to start foam rolling and uh actually warming up before my work <laughs> correcting some of your pain i was a broken man before i <laughs> met you that was for damn sure um so uh so why don't you you know what, christopher uh why don't you introduce yourself <laughs> i feel like i'm in trouble with you <laughs> Why don't, you, why don't you give us a little intro to who, who you are? I'm excited right. for this one. Yeah. So what's going on, everybody? Uh, Chris Kalis here. Um, originally from Massachusetts, lived in Connecticut for 12 years, currently in Arizona and relocating back to Massachusetts in a, in a week or so. Um, started uh, when I was 17 as a professional wrestler. That was my goal, training and uh, trying to make it to the WWE. And um, 2008, I started uh, my journey as a personal trainer. So it kind of goes hand in hand with professional wrestling. And uh, ever since I've continued to move through the, the health and wellness industry, so to say, uh, moving from just doing personal training to corrective exercise therapy, uh, I started to steer into uh, movement therapy and fascial stretch therapy, uh, which brought me into the emotional and the energetic components. And so over the last, you know, I would say 12, 13 years now, um, you know, my journey has kind of taken me into the realm of trainer and corrective exercise specialist into fascial neuromyofascial specialist um, to the point where, as you can see in the background, the SRT. Uh, I am co-founder of a technique called soft stretch release techniques. Um, it's an infusion of Thai massage meets physical therapy meets massage meets stretch therapy meets chiropractic care. So it kind of functions in between the realms of all of these other components. Um, we primary, uh, our primary focus is really on four primary systems that we work with. Um, those four systems would be your nervous system, your fascial system, your lymphatic system, and your belief system. We all operate on our beliefs. So that's an important system. One of the most important systems that uh, control, control our lives. So that's where I am currently. Um, like I said, I head back up to Massachusetts. My goal is to bring SRT therapy uh, to the East Coast. My plan is to really get into the tri-state area and all along the, the East Coast border and just start really um, getting, getting the word and the brand out for SRT uh, through our certification classes that we have to certify professionals. Ryan actually has come through our class in the very beginning, four years ago now when we started it. Holy crap. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> wow. So we've developed quite a bit since we have a lot more intentional pieces. Um, it's a very different field now compared to when we started it, which everything should be always evolving. So yeah, man, that's, 
it's a little bit about who I am and where where I am currently in the process of what we call this wonderful existence. <laughs> <laughs> he says with a grin. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Do you ever like? I mean, I'm, I know, I know you, you always do, but I mean, it's, isn't it crazy to, to, you ever like take a step back and be like, holy, holy crap. Like I used to be like my, my main goal at one point in time was like pursuing just being a professional wrestler. Do you ever think it would just like translate to where you are now where you're just like, it's like complete, like 180 of like what you used to do? Uh, honestly, yeah. All the time. Like, um, so for me, I would say probably for like the last seven or eight years, every time my birthday comes around, mm. uh, I don't like to go out. I don't like to celebrate. I really like mm. to use that day as a self-reflection day and um, really sit down and look at everything that's happened in the last year of mm. life. And it is truly amazing, literally, how 12 months can feel like 12 days for some things and it can feel like 12 years for other things. And so, um, you know, I, I think we, I think we talked about it before, but when I turned 30, um, you know, my wrestling career kind of came to, to a head at 28, 29, I suffered some of my own injuries and that was my focus, you know, 17, you know, bet my whole twenties was wrestle WWE fame, fortune, money, superstardom, all that fun stuff, all that superficial stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I turned 30, I was just lost. I was like, I have no idea where my life is going, no idea what I want to do. Um, I had a decent, decent business with personal training at the time in Connecticut, but um, yeah, I wanted more. I, I just, I, I didn't know what the next step was. So I actually went to a silent meditation retreat for seven days in silence, uh, which really helped open up my mind and expand the path of which I wanted to go into the healing realm. Um, so yeah, like you said, you know, I sit back and look at it. It's, I feel like, you know, I'll be 36 next month and just, I would say the last, you know, 15 years since I was 20, it, it feels like I've led three, four different lifetimes. Like mm-hmm. the amount of obstacles I've been through in relationships and business and career and, and just everything. It, it, it's, it's mind blowing how time actually works mm-hmm. um, so to answer that question yes i do sit back <laughs> and think i think about where i was i think about where i am i think about where i'm going yeah. um and yeah it's uh it's definitely been an interesting journey for for my life thus far well it's funny because any that's like any time because uh, i have a lot of friends who are approaching i just turned 30 october i have a lot of friends who are approaching 30 right now and that's like one of the first, it's like one of the first things I'll tell them. I'll be like, yeah, one of my buddies did like this silent, like yoga retreat. Thing. <laughs> like, and I was like, and I always thought that was like the coolest thing. Um, I guess I one, I guess one question I always want to ask you, cause you went from like this, like, you know, Massachusetts kid who was, you know, hell bent on becoming like a professional wrestler, like beating your body up. What was like that, that moment where you're like, I need to do something different to figure out you know, where, like, just figure out, like, I guess, I guess you didn't even know where you wanted to go. Yeah. Um, I would say the start or more of the pivotal moment for that, uh, mindset probably came, um, 2014, I want to say. So, I had done stuff with WWE on and off um, between 2012 and 2013. Um, And at that point, I was already, you know, 10, 11 years into my career of doing wrestling. Uh, I had a really good business going in Connecticut for the personal training. And I started to have some, my body started breaking down, started to take some injuries in the ring. Um, And you know, I, I messed up my neck, I tore my knee, I jacked up my ankle. And so I got to a point where I just started to, to say, you know, what's, what's going on? Like, I'm a trainer, I'm an athlete, my body's breaking down, you know, I, I think I'm taking care of myself, but clearly there's, there's stuff going on, uh, which kind of led me into, you know, more self-exploration of the, 
physical healing um, and holistic approach for myself. Um, and as I opened up that doorway, uh, it became more, I became more conscious of how little uh, we actually know, or, you know, I could say how little I actually know and knew uh, about the body. You know, we, we get to a point in our lives where We build this identity for ourselves. And when you have an identity, you're automatically limiting yourself because you are confining yourself into those boundaries of what that identity consists of. And so for years, I was a professional wrestler. That was who I was. Uh, I was a personal trainer and I would assign these labels to myself. You know, I'm a wrestler, I'm a trainer, I'm an athlete, I'm this, I'm that. And in doing that, I lost the ability to find and experience other things outside of those constrictions. And so when I went to the, uh, the meditation retreat center and it really gave me the ability to be within myself, I mean, if you think about, you probably, most people don't go longer than an hour at most without hearing somebody's voice or talking to themselves or talking to somebody. So for seven days of silence, of no music, of no distractions, of no outside external influences, uh, it really allowed me to, to dive inside myself, to figure out what is my passion, what is my purpose, where am I going, the kind of, you know, the karmic shift into, okay, I spent the first part of my life or my, you know, my whole 20s very physical, very aggressive, very masculine, beating up the body, beating up other people. I loved it as an athlete. I loved it as an entertainer, um, but I had that experience. It was something that I, I had done and I realized that chapter was kind of coming to an end. It wasn't something that I wanted to necessarily continue doing because um, it wasn't feeding my, my growth internally, but it was definitely hard because that was my identity. It was who I, who I was. And it took me, I'd say it took me probably a solid three years, maybe four after, um, to really probably like from 28 to 32, uh, to really figure out who I was, who Chris was, you know, I played my character for so long. Um, and yeah, it just, um, you know, you kind of sit back in life and as long as you're growing and you're continuing to move forward, you should be moving in a cyclical or cyclical nature. So I started, my goal was athleticism, masculinity, beating up the body, beating up myself, aggression. And I've steered into holistic healing, soft therapy, uh, healing, working with the nervous system, working with your fascial system, working with your belief system. Mm -hmm. And if I wanted to go back to wrestling, I couldn't even do it because my mindset is such a duality now. Like I mm -hmm. couldn't do what I do for healing and then step back into that reality of beating up myself and beating up other people. It just it's like oil and vinegar or oil and water. Like it, it won't stick. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, it's kind of how it, how it happened for me, I guess. What was it like, like that? Uh, cause I, cause I, cause even when you did that retreat, like, I feel like technology or being on our phones wasn't as heavy maybe as it was back then. So what was it like, like those first like few days? Cause I feel like just thinking about being in silence or like, you know, cause I'll do, I'll do meditation for like 10 minutes. Right. And yeah. it's like, like even just those 10 minutes feels great, but I can't imagine being silent and just being with myself for like seven days. Yeah. So what was, what was kind of like that initial, like, like, was there shock? Did you feel anxious? Did, like, what was kind of like, what was your like ego doing? Yeah, man, totally. It's, uh, by the second day I was like, I need the gym. I need some hardcore music. I need like, I need some, I need something stimulating because our brains are so used to distraction. Um, so the second and third day were probably the hardest. Uh, 
I found myself talking to myself as I would walk through the woods, just voicing my thoughts to myself or having a conversation with myself and then catching myself to try to maintain silence and just keep myself in myself. Uh, but honestly, it's like, uh, I would say, I mean, you're the nutrition guy. It's, it's like diet, right? It's like cutting yeah. out sugar in you feel good, but then like probably day two, three, four, you start to really crave it. And you're like, oh man, I got to make it through this. Once you make it through it, you feel great. You don't really crave it. There's no desire for it. Mm-hmm. So first day was really cool. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Second, third day, it was like, ah, okay, man, it's like literally 16 hours of being awake of walking and sitting meditation. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> like there, there's there's nothing to do. Like, that's the biggest obstacle it's you have in life, you know, for you. Oh, we gotta, we gotta do the uh, zoom call. We gotta do the nutrition programs. I gotta do this. I gotta get my workout in. There's always something that has to be done Mm. here. You have nothing. You have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you have meditation. And so there's no rush. There's no need to hurry up and get through something because there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. Um, which is a totally different feel leaving society and having literally nothing to do. Like you wake up, you meditate, you eat, you go to sleep, you wake up, you meditate, you eat, go to sleep. Um, so it really is about being in the stillness, like literally no distractions, um, and paying attention to the pieces that you neglect on a daily basis. So, when you eat your food, typically, you know, you take a bite, you've already got another bite on the fork waiting to go before you've even done chewing. It's just a, it's an automatic program. This is what we do. Um, here it's more, you know, you take a bite of food, put the fork down, chew the food. What does it feel like in your mouth? What does it taste like? You know, um, what thoughts are coming into your head? Um, when you walk by people, you know, it was, cause I think there was probably like 30 people there, but we all had our own places that we stayed. Um, And when you would walk by somebody in society, right, you typically smile at them, say hi, give them a wave, whatever, make, you know, etiquette. Here it's discouraged. Here it's like, look down, don't make eye contact. It's Mm -hmm. not about respect. It's about honoring your energy and keeping as much of you within you because eyes are the window to the soul. So if Mm -hmm. you're making eye contact, you're letting people in or you're putting your energy out. So if you respectfully look down to keep as much of you within you there's no oh man this person's an asshole they don't even smile at me they don't look at it's it's understood that this is i'm here for me you're here for you and that's mm-hmm. the whole point of this it's it's not to have conversations not to make friends it's to be here for you um so that was a little interesting that was a little difficult and then you start to realize how much uh in life like wasted energy we have you go to the grocery Mm. store hey how you doing today good how are you hey how you doing today good how are you it's it's just wasted energy and um and there's a lot of society that teaches you certain things you know that are again like i said etiquette or the proper way um that are really not designed to help your inner self it's all about the external world so that I think is the biggest disconnect right now uh, for, for most people, for the world, which is why we're at war, which is why, you know, COVID and the disagreements and religion and everything else, it's, it's a lack of understanding the emotional intelligence and the emotional pieces internally uh, because we're so distracted all the time with the external. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and, and that's something uh, I didn't start learning until I started doing more meditation and more journaling is, you know, how much we'll use distractions to avoid what we really need to do, right? Or for a great example is, is, you know, clients that I'll work with, some of them struggle with boredom eating, right? So it's like, instead of sitting and, and you know, and it just taking, you know, solace that there's, you're going to be bored at times, like you don't have to be entertained at all times, you know, most but people here's, just- he, here's the thing too. Sure. In today's society, there is should absolutely be no reason somebody is bored. Mm-hmm. There is so much to do. There are so many things out there. It, there. There should never be a boredom. Right. And if you're bored, that comes from something else internally. Um, but 
as you said, sitting with yourself and meditating and doing all this other stuff is fantastic. The, the big pieces, again, I think we've with the, with the advancement of technology and everybody's on their phone and we can do anything and everything. You can mm-hmm. talk to people in another country in a matter of seconds. You know, it's, it's become so much of that. Again, we've heard it instant gratification, quick, 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 quick. I want now, now, now. Right. Um, and the problem is we have more connection right? And Gary V talks about this. We have more connection than we've ever had before. You can pick up your phone, call somebody, FaceTime them in Italy or China or wherever. So we're more connected than we've ever been before, but we are also the most disconnected from ourselves that we've ever been. Mm. And the challenge is going to be reconnecting to yourself. One of the biggest things uh, people don't realize is even in a relationship, if you, you can surround yourself with you know a hundred friends you could have your family around you all the time you could be in the best relationship with your partner but you will always internally be alone you you will have an external partner an external family member an external group of friends but internally you are always with yourself so if you don't understand how to find comfort in your aloneness Mm. you will never be able to find true uh connection externally because you're looking for something externally that is internal Mm. so same you know you've heard the saying love right you know if you don't love yourself how can somebody else love you or how can you love somebody if you don't love yourself like when you are happy or when you are joyful or when you're love like not in love don't love yourself but when you are actually love when you are the experience of what love is then everything externally will be viewed from a different perspective Mm -hmm. if you hate yourself you're going to see everything externally as this person has more than i do this person always has everything that i want how come nobody loves me so but if you love yourself and if you are in the vibration of love and you can maintain that Mm -hmm. everything you see externally is going to have a different perspective you're going to see another couple and you're going to say, man, they look awesome. Like, I hope they have a great life together. And it, just, it makes you smile or, you know, you're just going to enjoy nature because, you know, the little, the little rabbit in my backyard runs around and plays with his little brother, or whatever. It just makes you smile. Like everything is just viewed from a different perspective. Mm. And, um, and that's where I'm at. That's where I've, you know, we talked a little bit about my situation currently. And it's mm. more of when you understand how to be, happy and not complacent but comfortable with your aloneness everything external is just adding to your happiness and your joy internally Mm. yeah absolutely so so basically if you're trying to fill the void with something external it'll never happen it will never it'll never work it'll never work how i guess it's a band-aid it's a quick fix and then you lose it it's like a drug right you find it you hold on to it you never want to lose it at some point you got to let it go can't hold on to something forever so whether you're sad or happy or angry or lonely you know uh the mistake that we make is thinking that the emotions that we feel or the feelings feelings and emotions that we experience are ours Every single person on this planet, 8 billion people have all felt sad, felt loved, felt happy, felt lonely. So we can't, we can't attach to that and say, oh, I'm sad or my sadness. You can just say the sadness, the experience of being sad, I'm feeling, but I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to own it. I'm not going to attach to it. I'm going to allow myself to experience it mm-hmm. and then I'm going to let it move on because somebody else is going to experience it. So mm. it's, um, it's, it's a different, you know, it's a different way of looking at how to internally deal with these things that were never taught in school, mm-hmm. how to deal with. It's always external stuff. It's never internal right. stuff. So true. I, so I guess, cause obviously you, you've, this is something you've been practicing for years. So I guess, how would somebody at least get the, the ball rolling to, I guess, start to reframe their thoughts this way and, and start to look more inwards and, and, re- and not externally. 
So the first homework that I, you know, whether I do therapy or training or whatever it is, my homework is always um, some type of meditation. And there's, there's tons of different styles of meditation, right? You can meditate for emptiness and complete silence. You can meditate to focus on uh, rewriting a, a trauma from your past, bringing yourself back into a memory of something bad that might've happened to you. So it depends on what your meditation focus is on. Um, and the biggest thing, you know, it's, I can, I can tell, I can meet somebody and I can say they meditate, they don't meditate by their energy. I can feel it. I can see it. I can sense it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the people that are always, oh, God, I can't sit in silence. I can't sit for 10 minutes. You are the person that needs to do this the most. Right. Um, so, you know, it's the same thing. Like, oh, I can't give up sugar. You can, and you probably are one of the people that need to do that the most because you might have the most weight to lose. And if you give up sugar, you're going to start to lose weight immediately and get healthier. But if you say I can't, then you're just validating to yourself that you can't right? You know, those who say I can't are right. And those who say I can are right. So it just depends on what your perspective is. Um, I'd say that the biggest challenge is understanding that everything you potentially believe has created your identity, right? Again, from politics to religion to whatever, like, oh, I can't meditate because I'm Christian and I pray. I don't do meditation. That's more Buddhist style. Well, that's a belief. It's a limiting, it's a limiting belief. So you're now using your identity to validate why you can't do something. Um, and the hardest part is going to be starting to dissemble or shatter that identity that you've created for yourself. Because when you think about it, you haven't created that identity for yourself. The outside world has given you that identity. When you're born, your parents program you with their beliefs, their thoughts, their actions, Mm. your priests or your school teachers or your politicians or your aunts, uncles, whoever. You're constantly being programmed by other people's beliefs. So when you get to a level of understanding and you start to question things, you'll get to a point where you say, I don't even know what my, what are my thoughts? What are my beliefs? Because I believe what everybody else has told me is right or is wrong or, um, you know, so it's, it's a matter of, it's a matter of rewriting those programs. It's, it's a dissembling your identity because when you identify with something, you are limiting yourself and you are actually creating a prison for yourself. We see that today. It's it's more prominent than ever before, especially with the whole gender and you know all of the other stuff going on with you know gender versus sex and all this other stuff. So we've created identities, you know, male or female. Genetically, this is you're either male or female. Now it's like, no, I'm you know, non-binary, transsexual, pansexual, what it, you're, you're assigning more and more labels to yourself, which you're mm-hmm. actually locking yourself into a smaller and smaller identity where you're not going to allow yourself to experience other pieces or understanding other perspectives, because you are in such a fanatic identification of yourself that you want other people to fit into your belief system. And you can't understand when they don't, but you've created a prison for yourself based on all of the labels that you assign. If you want to wake up and you want to identify as a female, cool. But why do you have to label it? If you're attracted to a man one day and you're attracted to a female another day, why do you have to label it? You're just experiencing what life has to offer you, but we create these identities. So the, the, the first step is honestly looking at what you believe. Are they your beliefs? Have you ever questioned anything else? Have you ever looked or wanted to, to look into another form of religion or to another thought process because it just doesn't make sense fully to, to you right now where you are, but you're attached to it? Mm-hmm. Um, so non-attachment, you know, for, for me, this, this entire year uh, is a lesson in non-attachment. You know, I've lost, I don't even want to say lost. Um, I've had a lot of things removed from my life that no longer serve my next chapter, my, my highest purpose. So mm-hmm. I've enjoyed them 
for as long as I had them. And now they're being removed and I have non-attachment to them. I I'll miss them, but I've enjoyed it. Nobody can take that away from me. Mm -hmm. Um, but my mindset has to remain present. Like if I'm focused on the past, I'm simply living in a memory. If Mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm hurting from the past, you're hurting from a memory because that's no longer the present. And the same thing, if I'm worried about the future, I'm suffering from, from a vivid imagination because it hasn't happened yet. It may never happen. So the only thing that you can really do is maintain the present moment. And this is where life happens. It doesn't happen in the past. It doesn't happen in the future. It happens in the moment. Mm -hmm. And if you can control your present and you live a good present, your future will be fantastic because you're setting the stones for the present moment to unfold into your future. So you just dropped a lot of wisdom and a lot of, <laughs> I'll try to break it down. But so, so one, obviously, like you said, is that if you, if you associate as something, if you identify as something, so this could be to, to go back to like a nutrition, nutrition perspective, if you associate as the stress eater, if you associate as the person who can't give up snacking or anything like that, then what you're essentially doing is you're creating a limiting belief or that is the limiting belief around uh, how you perceive yourself. Therefore, you can't, in your mind, you're creating this almost like this prison that you can't get out of this box, right? That you are, this is just it. It's rigid and, and it, it's not, you know, it's not flowing, right? So Correct. Your, your, your first step for somebody would be you need to, one, create the awareness around what it is that you identify as and does it keep you sort of in this mental prison where you doesn't allow you to create change? Is that kind of like a little bit? Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say, yeah. Um, you can also look at it from the perspective of, so say you're, you're in your room right now, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody locked that door and said, you're not allowed to leave this room, you might be okay for a few days. And then mm-hmm. you're start, starting to get crazy. You're like, I want to get out. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in a prison. So then they open up the door and they let you walk around the apartment. Mm-hmm. They don't let you out of the apartment. You'll feel good for a couple of more days because you're, you're not stuck in your room, mm-hmm. but you'll realize you're now still in a prison because mm-hmm. you can't leave your apartment. So then they say, okay, we'll let you out of your apartment, but you can't leave the city. So you feel good for maybe a few months, maybe a year walking around the city, but you're like, ah, you know what? I want to go visit my family in Connecticut. I want to go do this. I want to travel. You're, you're always going to feel like you're in a prison. So when you tell yourself something, I can't do this, or this is how I am. This is just the way it is. You're reinforcing that prison for yourself. You're telling yourself it's okay to be this way because this is just how it is. Mm. But there's always a part of you. If Life wants to be boundless. So when we create boundaries, we will always, life will always try to push those boundaries. Mm-hmm. I, I started, you know, uh, in Connecticut and then I was like, okay, you know, then I started to travel. I went to the retreat center and I was like, Ooh, this feels really good. And I went to Iceland and I'm like, Oh, now, now I want to go here. I want So the more experiences you have, the more you will constantly try to push these boundaries because life wants to experience life. Um, But yeah, for many people, if, if you gave people the freedom, right, everybody wants freedom, you know, and, and we've seen this during COVID and you see it, everybody wants freedom. But if you took somebody out of their comfort zone and you put them in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness where they are completely free, they would freak out because they would feel lost. Mm. So most people, again, have to attach themselves to something that they identify with. Even if it's not making them happy, it's a comfort because most people don't know, A, what it's like to truly be free. Most people don't know what it's like to have non-attachment to things because that becomes your identity. So like for me, as I leave Arizona, I have probably eight boxes. I have some books, some clothes, and some survival gear. That's it. I've literally emptied my entire life, and I feel the freest I've ever felt because I have nothing. I have no attachment to anything. I can hop in my car, and I can go. Um, It doesn't mean that that's what I'm going to stay with my entire life, 
But when you realize that things are just things and life has experiences, there's no destination. The destination for all of us is the same death, mm. right? When life decides to leave this body, it moves on. When the body no longer functions, life will move on into a different form. So there's no rush. Why do we want to get to that end, end of the race first? Right. Like, so life is life. If you choose to hold on to your beliefs, you will choose to continue to lock yourself into your prison. And I'm sure you've seen that with your clients and nutrition. I, I can't do this. Well, okay, then you're right. You can't. If you're saying you can't, then you can't. Um, I think a big thing is too how people word things. Um, there's a lot of stuff that needs to change, especially around the healing, the healing world. And, um, so even like the, one of the things I don't, I'm not a fan of with Alcoholics Anonymous is the first thing is, hi, I'm so-and-so I'm an alcoholic. Well, you're constantly reinforcing the fact that you're telling yourself you're an alcoholic. You're not telling yourself you're healed. You're not telling yourself I'm a former alcoholic. I am you know, you're, you're attaching that identity back to yourself. So you're going to an AA meeting for 30 years, but every day you're in the meeting, you're telling yourself, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic, but are you, you're no longer an alcoholic. You were maybe, but you continue to reinforce that identity as I'm an alcoholic. Mm. So how we word things is a huge component. Every time somebody says, I can't, they're reinforcing their validation to this is who I am. I'm, I'm just big boned or I'm just fat or my genetics suck or that. And yeah, you know, you know, you can make excuses. Um, and some of those all play key factors, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the biggest factor is your mindset. Like if, yeah. if you keep telling yourself, this is how you are, then how are you going to change? Right. Yeah. That, that reminds me of, um, so I used to listen to Wayne Dyer a lot. I don't know if you heard of Wayne Dyer. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, that reminds me of a story he told about Mother Teresa. I, I think it was during a war, they had approached her about, um, you know, marching to end war. Um, and, and she declined and, and they asked her why. And she said, when you decide to have a march for peace, then that's when she'll decide to join. So it, it was a matter of reframing how you worded what you were standing for, what you wanted. Um mm -hmm. Because like you said, words are, words are powerful, right? Especially if it's their words that you constantly repeat all the time. Well, even right now, right? You know, people are saying, oh, we're on the brink of World War III. But we're not. There, we're not. The world is not at war. Two nations are at war. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's how it is. Really, it sucks. It's unfortunate. But that's, if you want to be real, that's the truth. Two nations are at war, not the world. The world is not at war. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, you know, how you, how you frame things is, is huge. And as I talked about the belief system with SRT, when you look at the worst and most heinous crimes against humanity committed from humans, it's all come from conversations with God or whatever their beliefs are, right? So we have holy wars. We go to war and kill other people because God told me that Christianity is the uh, Christianity is the way to be. You know, so I've got to force this on other people because this is what I believe. Or you look at Hitler. You know, Hitler's belief of talking to higher powers and this is this is the right way. So the worst crimes against humanity have all been committed by people who have received messages from a higher power according to them right and so if you're willing to die for your belief that must mean you're willing to kill for your belief but that doesn't mean that your belief is absolute truth it's just your belief mm -hmm. and so that's one of the biggest things that we face as for healing for nutrition for for anything it's your belief may be truth to you but it's not an absolute truth that exists. Mm, absolutely. And I like how you kind of reframe re that. The, so in, in your expertise, because obviously what you do primarily is, or at least what you started doing was more of, you know, how can I help this person recover from an injury or, or anything like that? How, how have, since you've, you've evolved with, with your methodologies, methodologies? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. right word. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> how have uh, how have you sort of evolved so that you because because I I had I had the real pleasure of kind of seeing your your techniques evolve. Like when we started working together, it was more like physical. Um, like you taught me how to do you know pin and stretch and and mm-hmm. and using you know uh, voodoo voodoo wraps to to help get blood flow and and release adhesions and all these other things. Um, you know, how has your techniques evolved to really, you know, that you've seen these uh, emotional and mental um, stresses take a physical hold on somebody's body? Yeah. So, um, you know, I still do very physical stuff, mm-hmm. but the stuff is much softer mm-hmm. in the approach based on the systems of the body that we're working. Uh, but with that being said, everything, physics has already proven this, everything is energy at its mm-hmm. very existence is energy. The cells within our body are energetic powerhouses. So energy, vibration, frequency, sound healing, all of that stuff is going to physically affect your system. Have you seen the, um, have you seen the experiments done on water? When water under a microscope is um, exposed to different music and how the crystallizations of the water actually change. So that's really cool if you check that out. So if you play angry, hardcore metal music, the crystals in the water itself will respond to the sound and become more jagged and rough. Mm. If you play Beethoven or Mozart or something like that, the crystals become smoother every sound will affect the cellular makeup of water. Mm. What are we? 70 to 80% water. So sounds, experiences externally will have a direct effect on us internally. Mm. And so energy is at the existence of everything. So whether you have a very physical injury, like you tore your rotator cuff, it might be 90% physical with 10% energetic emotional, it may be 90% energetic and emotional with a 10% physical. So one story I can share real quick is I had a woman in Connecticut and she had uh, right hip pain. So we came in, we did some very physical stuff, mobility, all that fun stuff, really no improvement. So next session she comes back and she had had a mastectomy. So double mastectomy. So I said, let's take a look at the scars. I want to see how the scars healed. Her left side healed beautiful. Her right side healed awful. So now, based on the energetic and the emotional pieces, okay, I look at the body, the yin-yang. The left side of the body represents feminine. The right side represents masculine. Okay, so she comes in with right hip. Her right chest healed a lot worse. So now I'm looking, okay, so there's something with masculine energy. She's out of balance. So we do some work and I'm looking at it from a fascial standpoint. The lines are connected to the hip. Um, So we do some fascial work, a little bit more improvement, but not super. Mm -hmm. So the third session she comes in, we do some more hip stuff. We do some fascial stuff. And I, I dive into the emotional pieces. And I said, when were you diagnosed with the cancer? And she said, ah, four or five years ago. And I said, what was going on in your life at that time? She's in the middle of a divorce. I said, oh, okay. So husband, masculine energy, loneliness, anger, aggression, sadness, resentment, all those fun negative feelings experienced here energetically turns into a physical ailment, cancer, has a very physical surgery to correct this, but those emotional pieces have not been released yet. So her hip is tied to her husband. I said, have you, have you meditated on any of this? Have you let it go? Have you forgiven? Have you forgiven yourself? Have you forgiven him? Have you forgiven the other woman? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's been five years. He's happy. I'm happy. I said, okay, well, what was the other woman's name? And she said, whole bag. I said, I, I don't think you've, <laughs> I don't think you fully let it go. I think you still have some anger in there. And that surprised her because she didn't even know. That was the immediate raw reaction was whole bag. And I said, I said, yeah, I think there's some stuff that's still buried and that you're holding on to. And 
the way that I work, because as, as I become more in tune, more aware, I'm, I'm more clairsentient. I feel sometimes I get, you know, clairvoyance. I see things pop into my head. And so the image that I got was her trying to walk forward because our hips move us forward in life and her trying to walk forward, but almost having like this massive ball and chain stuck to her right leg. So her right leg is dragging behind her. She's got hip pain. She's still attached to her husband. She can't let those feelings go or she hasn't realized that they're still stored inside. And um, so I flipped her over and I said, let's, let's do some gua sha, gentle scraping. We scraped her whole spine, lumbar to cervical. The only, and I have pictures of this on my Instagram. The only part that turned red was right behind her shoulder blades. And because of her spine, it looks like a broken heart right at the heart chakra. And so I took a picture and I showed her and I said, this is the root cause of your hip pain. We could work on this all day physically and you're, you're only going to make X amount of improvement until you clear the emotional pieces and the energetic stuff that's stored, that's holding that hip back. I said, you're going to be here. So her homework is meditation and learning how to forgive and let go and release and forgive herself for letting it happen and forgive him. And I'd say she probably did her work for about two weeks. And she texts me and said, I feel 95% better. My hip feels amazing. This and that. And so that's, those are the pieces I have. Some people that is very physical comes in. There's really no emotional piece attached to it. It's just physical. But for a lot of people, we go through traumatic experiences and feelings and emotions get stored in that moment of time, anywhere in the body. And it's a matter of connecting those pieces to the energetic, the emotional, and the physical that true healing comes from. I don't like when people say, you need to go see Chris. He fixed me. I don't fix anybody. Mm -hmm. I assist in the healing process that your body is capable of all on its own. Sometimes it needs a guide. That's what I do. Wow. That's, that's wild. And I love that. Uh, I love that, that, you know, and that's what I always enjoyed too, about your approaches. Like it's, you use different modalities to help someone. Right. so it's, it's, you never been opposed to chiropractics. You've never been opposed to like massage therapy or uh, PT or anything like that. Your mindset's always been you know, what is going to help you, what's going to work for you to allow your body to heal? Well, there's, you know, I, there's a saying that I say, it's everything can benefit everybody, but not everybody can benefit from everything. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of figuring out, there's a lot of pieces that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of pieces I do. Um, The biggest thing that we have to look at, we have to ask ourselves as a society is, why in today's day and age do we have the most options that we've ever had from laser therapy treatments to massage to reiki to chiro to everything we've had the most options for healing that we've ever had and yet we have the most amount of people suffering from chronic pain that there's ever been so where's the disconnect and the disconnect comes from the intellectual part of consciousness where we continue to dissect the body. So as I said, we work with the nervous system, the fascial system, the lymphatic system, all of these systems are directly tied. Your nervous system runs through your fascia, it runs through your skin, it runs through your muscles. So if you're a massage therapist and you're focused on the muscular system, well, you're neglecting the nervous system. You're neglecting the very key components that contribute to the muscles. Or if you're bypassing all the other systems as a chiropractor and you're just going to forcefully adjust the skeletal system, well, we know the fascia and the muscles directly affect the skeletal system. So we've gotten to a point where we continue to dissect the body and have forgotten that all of these systems work as a whole. And it's not just physical. So if you have the one thing that, that, I think is it's it's cool, right? You know, they have science and and people who work on cadavers and you know they dissect dissect the body and you get oh this fascial line pulls all the way up here and if I do this to the body it'll stretch this throughout here, but there's no life force in that body. 
the cadaver's dead. It can't tell you, oh, this doesn't feel good, or this makes me feel unsafe, or this is uncomfortable. Mm. So again, it's become a very mechanical approach with a big neglect on the emotional and the energetic pieces. How does somebody feel? I work with, a, unfortunately, I work with a lot of trauma, rape, rape victims, molestation people. Um, so they have tight legs, tight adductors, tight hamstrings. Their whole system has locked itself up because of the trauma. So if you go to a massage therapist or a physical therapist or a chiro or a PT, there's no questions on the intake form that ask, have you ever been emotionally or physically abused? It's a, it's a, it's a taboo topic. Nobody talks about that. So they just look, oh, I've got tight hamstrings. I've got tight adductors. Okay, so I'm going to forcefully stretch it or I'm going to dig my elbow into it to make the muscle release. Mm -hmm. But what was the initial cause? Right. If it was because they were raped, well, now you're working against their nervous system. You're literally causing more trauma to the body and you're trying to dictate to the body what you want it to do versus having a conversation with the body and listening to what it wants for itself. Mm. So that's the biggest thing that we, or that I, I work with and that SRT tries to steer people into is understanding first and foremost, yes, we do physical techniques, but the point of it for the slowness, the softness, the safety of it, and the support to the body Mm -hmm. is to work directly with installing new sensory input into the nervous system. If that nervous system feels safe, it will start to let go. It will let go of the muscles. It will let go of the tension. It will let go of the stress. If it doesn't feel safe, you can force that, that leg or that arm all day long, and it's not going to get better, or it will let go. And then two days later, it will lock right back up because mm -hmm. you didn't listen to the body you forced it to do something it wasn't ready to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I remember from, from your classes is, you know, just how, uh, one, the first thing is you have to make sure you clear yourself of any, like if you're feeling any certain type of way, not to bring that into, you know, the person that you're treating, right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's incredibly important. Um, and then the other, the other, like how specific it is, is, you know, when you're going, we are going through the classes is you were just like, just ask the, ask your client, ask your person, if even the glute swirl that we we're doing, right. To help open up somebody's hips, um, ask them which direction feels better. Right. And it was something as simple as that, that just really helped unlock somebody's hips a little bit more because of, like you said, if there's resistance going one direction, then you can you can completely override that if you go in a way that actually feels good for them and their body doesn't feel like they're fighting it. Right. Well, think about this, right? Growing up, you know, as a child or a kid, you're told what to do, right? Mm -hmm. You're bought you're bossed around by your parents. You're told this is what you need to do, whether you like it or not, this is what you need to do. How does that make you feel? Right. I used to get yelled at all the time. My dad was a cop, he was in the military, so I got yelled at all the time. How does that make you feel? Is that going to make you feel um, like they're like you're an equal, or is that going to make you feel like somebody's talking down to you? Mm. Or say you have, say you, you have a sister. So yep. say your parents talk to you one way, mm. you know, Ryan, hey, clean your room, you know, make sure this is done, blah, blah, blah. Okay, mom, dad, yet yeah, I'll do it. They talk to your sister. Hey, we told you to clean your goddamn room, get the shit done, take care of it. You know, you might both do the same thing. Mm -hmm. You'll clean the room, she'll clean the room. They asked you and talked to you in a manner that made you feel respected. So now you don't have any resentment. You don't have any anger. You're like, okay, yep, yeah, I got responsibilities. I'm going to do this. Cool. But they talked to her in a way that made her feel disrespected. She's going to have resentment. She might have anger. Oh, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Did that. And so she, the results are the same. You both clean your room, but how do you feel towards authority now? Mm -hmm. So same thing. If I go to a chiropractor because I had my rib out and he adjusts my rib physically, it needs to be put back in, but he caused so much anxiety and fear in my body that now I had to work on getting rid of that versus, you know, 
say it was able to be put back in in a soft, gentle manner where my body felt safe. It didn't guard itself. And he worked with me versus forcefully doing something. Same effect, but two completely different responses and reactions from my energetic and emotional standpoint. Mm -hmm. I love that analogy. That's actually, yeah, actually true, true statement. Except, with my sister except, I. <laughs> I was going to say, except it's probably inverted. Your sister was talked to and you were yelled at. Oh, uh, actually, I was the baby, so I was usually uh, oh, so you're, the, you're the mama's boy. <laughs> yeah, I'm the mama's boy. But it's interesting because that's that's how you know my sister was the firstborn. Um, but that was like the role she almost took on that motherly role with me. Um, so that was like a big thing for her and I this last couple of years is, is, you know, redefining what our relationship should be so that I didn't feel like, you know, I was, I was getting, you know, told what to do or had like a motherly relationship and more like a sibling type of relationship. Mm -hmm. But that's just because that's how she was raised and, you know, what she was taught to do. But, mm -hmm. uh, that's super interesting. Wow. And right. And that's programming, right? Yeah. It's yeah. So rewriting those programs that's what it's all about yeah so so my my question for you and so if you didn't know this, the name of this podcast is called these little moments podcast um basically because just through my life experience so far i've come to realize that you know where we are now and the big moments we've had in life are just you know a result of the little moments that have led us to get there um so my question for you is what is sort of a little moment that sticks out to you of that got you to where you are now a little moment that sticks out that got me to where i am now well like you said there are thousands of little moments right that mm -hmm. they get you to where you are so i would say you know one of the one of the most important, and it's not a little moment, it's a, it's a big moment, but, um, you know, was, was my first girlfriend that I, I had planned to marry at the time, young, 24, 25, whenever it was. Um, and, you know, went through the experience of walking in on her cheating on me. And that was an entire shift for my mindset because I had told myself I would never, you, you know, you screw me over, I'll turn around and walk away. And in that moment, I had made a completely different decision. I had decided that I didn't want to walk away. I didn't want to have to start over. I didn't want to move out. I didn't want to have to find a new place. So there was a lot of other pieces to the to the situation um, that came into play that you can never prepare yourself for until you're in that experience. And so through that experience um, is what led me into my own inner journey of, okay, she's moved on. She doesn't care. Family doesn't care. My family doesn't care. They feel bad for me, but they don't care. They're not attached to it. So why am I sitting in this empty apartment and suffering from something that everybody else has moved on from. And that was the point that allowed me to realize I am in charge of how I feel and what I attach to internally. So I think that was probably, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, maybe, um, that started my evolutionary shift into my awareness, into my consciousness, into, into, where I am in life, um, that was the pivotal moment and experience that I needed, apparently, for my soul um, to go through. Um, and it's been a roller coaster ride for the last 11 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I find myself going through similar situations, or um, yeah, I'd say similar situations that the universe presents to you with these experiences to see which direction you're going to choose. Mm. Are you going to hold on to something? Are you going to hold on to a memory and suffer from the memory? Are you going to be present in the moment and continue to live life in each individual moment as it comes? Are you going to worry about the future that hasn't happened and may never happen? Um, 
how do you handle the situation? Are you handling it gracefully? Are you handling it with respect? Are you handling it with dignity, integrity? Are you handling it from a low vibration of hatred and anger and vindictiveness and resentment? Um, so that I think is one of the big small pieces um, that really stick out. And, and I share that with all of my girlfriends that I've had. I share the experiences that I've gone through and I explain why certain things and certain people in my life are very important to me that I would never just cut out completely because there's no reason for me to cut out somebody that had such an impact. Um, and I, I find honestly, you know, and, and for yourself, if this is the route that you decide to go and for everybody else that, that might watch this, um, the deeper you dive into yourself and the more aware of how life truly operates in a boundlessness in there is no right or wrong. There is no good or bad. There is no negative or positive. There simply is. And everything is a situation or an experience. It's up to you to assign a possibility to that experience or does that experience become a problem, right? So right now with me relocating back to Massachusetts, it wasn't a choice that I was given. It wasn't a, it, where I am now having to leave was a, a choice that was taken out of my hands. It was made by somebody else. And do I assign that experience in that situation as a problem or as a possibility? And so my direction is it's going to be a possibility. I get to drive across the country. I get to do some solo searching. I get to take time for me. I'm going to build the SRT business as I go across the country. I get to come back home and spend time with my family who I haven't really seen. Um, I get to focus on building SRT 100% and running full throttle ahead, which is what I keep telling the universe I want to do for the last year and a half. This is what I've told them. Mm -hmm. So I could assign it to be a problem. I could sit here and cry about it. I could sit here and say, you know, I'm losing this. I have to give up the house. I have to get rid of my gym. I can't, you know, why me? Everything happens to me. I've already been through so much in my life. And I could hold myself to that scenario, or I could hold myself to this scenario. But at the end of the day, everything that happens to us or for us is nothing more than an experience. It's what we choose to assign to that experience is what makes it what it is. Right. And I like the way you reframe that too. Instead of saying, I have to, you said, I get to. I get to. Right. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a great little reframe that anybody can use to. Well, that's like we said, the words, words are power. Mm -hmm. How you word things in your, in your mind. Right. And like I said, I'm not losing anything. Right. I, I have experienced everything over the last four and a half years, you know, with with this person and with being, you know, the last year and a half being in Arizona. Nobody can take what I've had from me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not losing any of that. That's all there. I, I've gone through those experiences. I've enjoyed every part of every experience with that. Um, I won't have those parts to build a future with. So I can. I can mourn that I won't have any more experiences with that, but I can also celebrate that's one piece. Now I can have experiences with so many other pieces. Mm -hmm. So is it a problem or is it a possibility? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And with that little, little round of applause for uh, <laughs> Mr. Chris Kalis, uh, where, where can people find you and, and everything that you do? All right, so you can find me on my new Instagram since my old one was hacked. We've got Chris <laughs> period Kalis. Um, you can find uh, my business account on SRT underscore therapy for Instagram as well. You can find me on my website, just chriskalis.com or our srttherapy.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Chris Kalis. Um, I'm over there as well. And I'm working on building out the YouTube channel. I'm on LinkedIn, but don't worry about those other places. I'm more active <laughs> to the other pieces. Let's go. Well, make sure make sure you definitely check out Chris. Like I said, he, he was transformative in my years. One of my favorite mentors for uh, not only the mobility aspect, but the mental, emotional aspect as well. But appreciate you, buddy. We'll stay on a little bit after just a chat quick. But uh, 
Make sure you go follow him. Love you, dude. Thank you. Thank you, brother. We'll see you guys next one. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of These Little Moments Podcast. Make sure you give Chris a follow. All of his links will be in the show notes below. And please remember to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts because your five-star review can really help somebody else find this podcast organically. And if you enjoyed this podcast and if it helped you, then it's just going to help them too. So I appreciate you for doing that. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to work together one-on-one online coaching, you can apply for coaching at bodybrian.com slash coaching. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I love you. And I'll see you in the next episode. Peace out, guys.